I don't know, it was maybe a year ago, Julie was asking me, would you do, like, in, like I did in Fayetteville, Georgia, um, some sermons based upon hymns that we sing? And I thought, it's been a while since I've done that, and I may have done one since I've been here, or I'm not sure, but I thought, with the Bible study we just entered in in the auditorium class, dealing with um, discouragement, um, and discouragement in all forms that we can talk about, is there a song that would deal with that? And I thought, this is one of those songs. Um, there are others that will deal with discouragement, um, but I thought this song would be wonderful for us. And I think uh, someone last week or two weeks ago had mentioned some of the history behind the song, who wrote it, and, and some of that back in, I think, 2001, 2002 in that ballpark. But I thought, you know, I would love for us to look at the words. Ah, might just go back. <laughs> Not the smartest or the sharpest knife in the drawer here. We actually could use the song itself um, on screen since, um, since the sermon's not up here to actually go through um, each of the verses. And I want you to see the message of the gospel that is in this song. So I'm going to go ahead and go back and then you can flip it through uh, if you don't mind. Let me get this back over here. How do you get it back off? <laughs> Let me see here. Opening song. Here we go. In Christ alone. There we go. Um, one of the things that I see amongst many of us as servants of the Lord is at times a misplaced hope. Now you think about it. I don't know if any of us intentionally ever go, well, you know, I want to put my hope in something and not... not our Lord and our Savior, right? Our God is the one that we know our hope is placed in. And yet from a day-to-day, when we look at conversations or listen to conversations that we have with each other or we get on our devices and as Don was mentioning, you listen to the news, you get discouraged. Get on Facebook and you hear people's news feeds. At times, the things that they share, you get discouraged. That's the reality. Sometimes it's because of those very expectations that we have in people or in things. That somehow this thing is going to solve our problems. For instance, if we can get the right president, our problem is going to go away. All we need to do is get the right president and all of a sudden we're going to be on the right track again. That's not true. If we get this law passed, this one law, then we're back on top again and we can go into the sunset real happy. We know that's not true. We know from from a personal experience that's not true, and yet we still do it on a daily basis. Think about the relationships we have in our families. Where if I just had mom or dad that would raise me this way, life would be so much better as a kid growing up. Or as parents, if our children would only listen to our rules, our expectations of them, life would be so much better for me. We get discouraged because they don't. They have their own minds. We have expectations that if we just somehow join this organization, 
life will get better. I heard it said, and from an earthly standpoint, I get it. Because I, I see this in sports. I grew up in sports. Um, kids that are struggling in life and they join themselves to a team sport and even individual sports and they learn discipline. They learn teamwork. They learn how to um, beat odds, if you will. When people say you can't do it and then you, you meet those odds and you go past those expectations and, and all of a sudden you feel good about yourself. And someone recently was saying uh, to me, and this person has become a good friend of mine, um, he's very concerned for his cousin. I mean, getting in trouble with the law. And he was saying, Mitch, do you have any advice? Well, someone stepped in and had said, well, jiu-jitsu saved my life. Because, and this guy, you just named, he said, I can count on my hand the things I did not do in my life. I was assuming murder and maybe a couple other things. But he said, everything else I've done in my life, and it wasn't until I got um, this martial arts that it really, it saved me. And after he left, I, I told this person, I said, I get it. I get what he's saying. But I said, and then what? When you die, then what? And so I talked to him about the Lord. And I said that, you know, I'd be happy to talk to your cousin if I get a chance. Um, but we put our hope in things like that as if that's going to save us. Because we want to have something better than than. Whatever is going on that brings us down, if you will. And so we have these misplaced expectations, misplaced hope, if you will. And what this song is about is having our hope in Christ. There is no other expectation that could meet, let alone exceed, what he offers. And when you go through the stanzas or the verses of these songs, I want you to see what is being said in this first Verse, and I'm, I'm looking at it on my phone over here. When you look at the first verse, he says, In Christ alone, you can scroll along, Brad, as you want. Um, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. He is my, my pathway, if you will. He is my, my foundation, as the latter part of this verse continues on. And he's my joy. And you stop and consider this because we're talking about theology now. You're talking about a biblical truth that is very difficult for some to practically understand. I mean, when, when all of our expectations are here on earth and we're talking about Christ, the, there's, there's a disconnect until we actually give him our lives. And when we give him our lives, that does not mean that there aren't any trials, there aren't any thorns in the side that, as Paul brought up in our Bible class, there's still going to be difficulties. I mean, we're all facing them. Even because of our stand with Christ. But there's a biblical truth in this song. This person is establishing this biblical truth. And there's a number of passages that make this very clear. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, right, that he is the chief cornerstone of the church. He is our rock. We go back to the Gospels and the Sermon on the Mount when we can see where our hope rests. Is it on solid ground that gets us through the storms of life? And I'm fast-forwarding through the song real quick. 
Or is it going to be on things that shift? Things that we think, this, this is going to do it. Only to disappoint. That's what this song is about, brethren. When we sing this song, and we sing it in unison, we're having a message that we are declaring. Our hope is in Christ. And in Him alone. Because everything else that has been created is groaning, waiting for the kingdom return to Christ in its fullness, if you will, in its, all its glory. That's what this song is stating, and we're declaring that's where our hope rests, in Him, right? This cornerstone, Jesus Christ, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Someone was mentioning Job in our Bible class this morning. How, I mean, can you imagine losing 10 of your children all at once? Most of us would have to go through grandchildren and great-grandchildren have 10, right, today. But you think about having all of your children, whether it's you have one child or you're the Duggars. You lose all your children. It is absolutely devastating to lose what you have, all of your offspring. How are you going to get through that? Will it be through some support group? Because support groups can help. But support groups cannot offer what Jesus does. And so ultimately, while we may use these as tools, they are not the end source for our hope. They may be tools that our God can use through our lives to help us. But that's not the source. He is that source to get us through all of these trials of life. And so whatever it is, these heights of love, the depths of peace, these are the things that are for those who put their trust, who put their hope in Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're seeing. So in that first stanza, it is an introduction to the gospel message that because of this hope that I have in Christ, now... I want to tell you where that hope comes from, how it came through history. And therein lies the second verse as we continue on. In Christ alone who took on flesh. That's the whole of the gospel. To go from, from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, bringing us all the way up through what we call the gospels. That was the import of bringing us to Christ. This tutor, this schoolmaster, this guardian, if you will, as it was referred to with regard to the old law, to bring us to Christ. And all of a sudden, when we get to the gospel accounts, when we read Matthew's account or we read Luke's account, we see here is our God, as John summarizes in just one verse, John 1 verse 1, right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, and, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. And we have grace and truth through him, right? Verse 17 of John chapter 1. And so we have all of this stated in this second verse. That here he is. He takes on flesh. He's the fullness of God. Matthew chapter 1 verse 23, right? Emmanuel. He's the fullness of God in helpless babe. That's what we're singing as we go through this song in declaring this good news message. This gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save. Think about 
as we put our misplaced hope in parents, thinking, mom and dad, they're going to save me. And mom and dad give up. We live in a time when in marriages where parents give up on raising their children. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help Johnny. Sorry, Johnny. <laughs> I don't know how to help Susie. You know, we're just at, at wit's end as to what we can do to raising our child. He or she is just out of control or what. And, and then the child is like, I want mom and dad. I want them to, to give me these boundaries. I'm going to test them. I want to give them because I want to know that they're there for me. And for all the reasons that we have with the parent-child dynamics, it's very difficult. And we fail each other. But not our Savior. There have been parents who have literally given up on raising their children. Children who give up on their family because we struggle with the trials of life and sin. And here, imagine this, is a Savior who comes to save us from our sins and we reject Him. Because that's the way the world is, right? Rejecting the very one who came to save us. And what we are declaring is that here is the one our hope is placed in. The one who came to save us, even though we scorned him. And when he came and fulfilled what he was, well, commanded by the Father to fulfill, then God's wrath was satisfied. Now, just as a side note, there's a lot of controversy in the more quote-unquote, if I could just be useful in this story, the progressive churches. They don't like this verse, by the way, in the song. They, in fact, I forget which denomination it was. They voted to take out this phrase, the wrath of God was satisfied. Because it almost sounds like God is so upset. Presbyterian, Presbyterian church, okay. Um, and so as they were voting on this, they contacted um, the people who wrote the song. I think there was two, two people that wrote the song uh, teaming up for it. And they're like, No. <laughs> This is the truth. There was no way, as the Bible reveals, that God's wrath would be satisfied except through his son on that cross. And it was by virtue of Jesus going to the cross, because they wanted to replace it with the love. The love of God was satisfied, or the love of Christ was satisfied. But that's how serious sin is. If our hope is going to be in Jesus Christ saving us from our sins, we have to realize that it was our sins that brought forth the wrath of God. Isaiah 59 verse 1 tells us that it is our sins that separate us from God. And the blood of bulls and goats cannot satisfy. It can only serve as a shadow for a true and ultimate sacrifice that would take away God's wrath. That would bring us a peaceful relationship with him. A relationship where we have fellowship with him. And so in this second, third, and fourth verses, that's what we're looking at is this gospel message of here is God who came in the flesh to die on the cross to satisfy God's wrath. That's what's being said. And if you go on further in the song, we go into the third verse. It says, there in the ground his body lay light of the world by darkness slain. And this morning, just as was mentioned by Steve, we're here 
to reflect upon our attitude of partaking of this meal. This meal is the culmination of Christ's death and everything that led up to that. If I ask you who put Jesus on the cross, what would your answer be? Was it the Roman soldiers? Was it the Jews? That's right, Miss Robbie. It's us. We put him there. Our sins put him there. And guess what that means? That means every one of us in this room that's listening to this message right now put him there. We all did. Because the scripture says in Romans 3, as was read for us in the scripture reading, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means we all put him to the cross. This light of the world by darkness was slain. We put him there. But think about this. As his disciples were waiting, not sure what to do with their slain Savior, on that morning, that glorious day where he arose from the dead, and unbeknownst to them, while they're still sorrowful, our God accomplished what no man, no other creation could have ever accomplished on the, in any aspect of salvation. Think about it. So this morning as we're talking about discouragement, sometimes it's the perception of things. And so we might have a perception, all is lost. And there's a lot of people that we're coming to know. In fact, I almost used a post Julie had made on Facebook. I don't know if it was yesterday or recently in the last day or so. Because I think she and Gordon have recently gone to three funerals. Was it all suicide? Three funerals in the last month, suicide. And there are some that go through this life with no hope in this world. It's a perception. As Paul was mentioning in our Bible class, there's a difference between perception and reality. The reality is that we putting Jesus on the cross, ironically, paradoxically, is what brings us life. That's how God was going to have his wrath satisfied was through his son on the cross. If we didn't put him on the cross, we would yet to have the Savior. And the good news comes in in that he rose from the dead. And that's what we have in this stanza here, in this verse. And when that took place, all those who call upon the name of the Lord, of the Lord there's no more lost on that person. The victory of Christ belongs to him and the grip of sin is released. But that reality may not be a truth. That people understand until the words of truth sinks into their individual hearts. You think about this. When many in this world are going through, and I'm going to have a special prayer, by the way, because I remembered um, Wanda was asking me that we have a special prayer for Trish this morning with regard to her son um, and the custody rights for her son. And then I got a text from Bonnie this morning as well. She is struggling uh, physically from a lot of uh, back pain that she's been enduring for the last 20 years. And they both, both asked for prayers. 
But having those moments where individuals are struggling, we have these reminders of truth that overcome those moments of discouragement, of frustration, of anxiety, of, of depression. And that's what this third stanza is saying. And he stands in victory. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. This reality is what brings us to understanding, look at what has been done for me. And how people who are in this world can go from having no relationship with God to now saying, I'm his and he is mine. That's what we're singing. That's when we can take ownership of the one who died for our sins in the song. Because we've been bought by that blood. Finally, this is the hardest thing that I've seen for many brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is a, another area of reality that many brethren have failed to. I mean, they know it mentally, but have yet to experience it. Those who are struggling with depression. And I don't know how to fix that personally other than that you have got to come to the reality. This is what's for you. One of Satan's best weapons is to create doubt about your salvation that is found in Jesus. It is, it is his best weapon against you. So whether it comes through the form of theology, and when I say that, I'm talking about brothers and sisters in Christ that have this mindset of this in-out relationship with God. And I know that some brethren that love the Lord genuinely will say, well, then you have a misperception about truth. Because from that vantage point, they're saying it is an in-out relationship. Because as soon as you sin, you're lost again until you ask for forgiveness. And so there's this thing called this continual cleansing debate. You've probably heard that phrase that way among brethren. The reality is, as we're singing this song... Sin's curse has lost its grip on me. Therefore, there's no guilt in life. There's no fear in death. You may go through this life as a child of God, and you may, you may sin. And I'm using that very loosely because the, the reality is you will sin. But you love the Lord. I'm not talking about those who despise the Lord that, that purchased your blood and through his blood allows you to, to walk in him. I'm not talking about if you're walking away from him, not walking with him. I'm saying you love him, you walk with him, but you sin. And when you sin, because you love him, you're sorrowful for your sin. You ask forgiveness for your sins. You strive to live in repentance because of those sins. But the reality is you're not going to be lost because of that sin. He died because of your sins. And that death still works on behalf of your walk with him. Now, that's not popular. There are brethren that hate what I just said. You may even disagree with what I've just said. That's the truth of what the scriptures teach. That is why you can read 1 John chapter 5. And I'm going to read that for, for um, the first five verses so that you have this reality. In fact, read the entire First John if you want to have assurance. And that's what this last stanza is dealing with. In fact, go ahead and read that with me. 
1 John chapter 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who, um, him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith in Jesus, who gave us this victory. He who is, he, oh, excuse me, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So here is John stating, there are those that believe that, that Jesus is the Son of God, among whom we're right here. And because we believe that he's the Son of God, by faith, we keep his commandments. And so we were buried with him. We arose to walk in newness of life with him. In other words, we're living a life of repentance. And because we love him from our first breath to our very dying day, our final breath, if you will, that commanded destiny that we were talking about in the previous stanza, this is what we do. This is how we live. And as a result of that, there is no guilt when we live our lives, we know, hey, I'm going to sin, but I'm not going to let Satan doubt my salvation because of that sin. Jesus died for my sins. And we can, with clear conscience, magnify with the words through a song like this, this truth. That's what we have. If anything, brethren, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, we give our whole lives to him from beginning to end. And it may not be perfect. It won't be perfect, in fact. But it will be perfected. Therein lies the power of Christ in which we stand, not the power of self. And brethren, that's a theological difference that many had that... that caused them, in my estimation, to have a hindered walk, to have a walk that would be depressing. And I'll tell you right now, someone was mentioning in the Bible class this morning, you know, you can, I think it was Dina, you can try only so long to try and do things of your own accord, and then you realize, I don't ever get it perfectly. And I can remember whether it's thoughts that are immoral or of, out of anger, or unjustified anger, or anything else that would be contrary to our Lord, or to not just thoughts, but speech that um, is contrary to our Lord, is sinful, or actions that are sinful. Brethren, every one of us in this room, we've done it. And to a lesser or greater degree, it will happen at some other point. but we're going to live for him. Every step that we can, we're going to, by faith, live unto his glory because look at what he's done for us. That's what we're having in a song again. And so Romans chapter 8, remember verse 31 through 39, the last part of Romans chapter 8, where you take 
no height, the depth, the width, the breadth, everything. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. That's what this is referring to. That's what we have. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. I want you to finish. This is the last verse we're going to look at. Is in Romans chapter 8. We've read it many times. It's been in a number of sermons that, well, so many have given over the years. I want you to go back to that text. And this is where I'm hoping that those especially that struggle with discouragement, struggle with maybe even clinical depression that put on the name of Christ, that this truth will become reality not just from the pages of Scripture, but in your walk with the Lord. Look at verse 31. For those who have put on Christ, this is the reality that I want you to experience. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, go back to the words in the song, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Nothing. Nothing can separate us. From the love of Christ. So until he returns. Or until he calls us home. And we actually leave this earth. Before he returns. We'll stand in his power. Because that's where our hope is. In his strength. He is our foundation. Brethren. When we sing the song. What is that? Okay. <laughs> I, I forgot. <laughs> we were going through that. <laughs> When we sing this song, I want you to, to let these words sink in because this is the gospel message in this short song that we are singing. And I want you to sing it from the depths of your soul because it's a very powerful song. And I want to encourage you, especially for those among us in the body of Christ that struggle with discouragement. Put your hope in him completely and solely because we already know our hope in the things of this life <laughs> well the truth is the reality is the experiences that we have are we get disappointed but Christ will never disappoint and so th sing this song with that meaning and sing the song with the hope 
that when we share the gospel with our neighbors in the communities that we live in, that we can share this very message with them, that there is hope. It's found in Christ. Now, if you're here and you're, you're not a child of God, that passage I was referencing earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, the very first passage in this lesson, that, you know, he is our, the chief cornerstone. Earlier in verse 14 is another truth. That without God, there, God, there is no hope for you. Without the blood of Jesus, there is no hope for you. There's no hope for any one of us. But through that blood, we become not only fellow citizens in the kingdom of God, we become members of the household of faith. And it is a great fellowship and a great encouragement through that fellowship that we have. That's one of the great blessings among many that we have in Christ Jesus. You can have that if you're willing to put to death your life that's full of sin and put on his righteousness that is able to cleanse you from your sins. Is that what you like? If you're here and you're visiting with us and you've never been baptized into Christ, what we're saying is we want you to die right now. Put to death the man that has no hope for the one who gives you ultimate hope. That's Jesus Christ. I'm asking you to come forward so that you can be baptized into Christ right now to start a new life in him. And brethren, if you need our prayers, again, you know what to do. We'll pray for you right now as together we stand and sing.